Hello and welcome to Revenge of the Drive-In, the podcast brought to you by the Grandma Sophia's Podcast Network. This is the podcast where we watch, review, and discuss two movies randomly selected from a list of over 2,000. This week's movies are James Cameron's The Terminator and George Miller's Mad Max. I am your host, Patrick, and I am joined by... Jim, hello everybody. Hello, Patrick. I am sick. <laughs> Hi, sick. I'm Patrick. <laughs> da, 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 da. No, how does it go? Da, da, da. I think it's just Badum Ch. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> it's been a while since you and I have recorded, Jim. But I just wanted to remind everyone that if you enjoy what you are hearing, you can always check us out at patreon.com slash revenge of the drive-in, where you will have early access to content as well as access to extended versions of the episodes here, dumb jokes like that, which I usually cut out. <laughs> and... <laughs> Maybe I can't cut it out this week if I'm referring to it later. But And then we also do commentary tracks, usually one a month. It looks like we might be missing February this year, though. But hey, it's the shortest month, so cut us a break. Jim, I almost canceled tonight's recording. You know why? Why? Because on Turner Classic Movies, they were showing them. It's a movie about the giant killer ants. One of the greatest sci-fi, 50s sci-fi movies of all time. I mean, well, it was it was refreshing compared to the Anchor Red Planet, obviously. Which we <laughs> well, I thought it week. was a movie about modern gender identities, but continue. No, you're thinking of they slash them, which is <laughs> peac- which is a Peacock original, I think. Oh no. <laughs> also worth noting because James Cameron ripped that movie off, not in yes. the Terminator, but in Aliens. Aliens. I'm surprised we didn't actually talk about this, especially because we talked about Alien kind of being a little bit of a ripoff slash remake of It, the Terror from Beyond Space. Aliens is a complete ripoff of them. It has the exact same story structure. They show up, they find a, a little girl who doesn't talk, who's the only survivor of something horrible that's happened. So yeah, been a James Cameron kind of night for me already. Oh, that's pretty exciting, I guess. So you're getting all geared up for this. Okay, listen, we 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 got to wrap this up because the them's going to be on for the next 22 minutes or so. So hopefully, I can still catch some. I I can catch the climax. It's been a while since I've seen it, so I <laughs> catch the climax of that movie. That's, no, it's a great movie though. Well, speaking of climax, let's talk about the Terminator, which is what I always yell when I climax. Come with me if you want to live. <laughs> Yeah, it came out in 1984, directed by the one and only Jimmy Cameron. Yep. Starring the biggest ever stars ever, ever. And by ever, ever, I mean Arnold Schwarzenegger and Linda Hamilton and Michael, what is it, Bill Paxton. Yeah, Michael Bean, Bill Paxton, Lance Henriksen. That's right. That's true. I've heard uh, that originally Lance Henriksen was going to be the Terminator because I think the original idea was have him just kind of blend in. Mm -hmm. But then they're like, hey, we can get this Arnold guy. You know, he's fresh off of Conan. He, like, he's a big deal. Like, maybe this will be a little bit better. And then there's something kind of funny about this guy. You're, like, wondering around, oh, my God, who's the Terminator? Who's the Terminator? Oh, it's that seven-foot-tall, 300-pounds-of-muscle <laughs> like yeah. German guy or Austrian guy, I should yeah. say. Yeah, it's like, it's who probably mo- Who him. moves like a robot? Well, yeah. No, I mean, it's it's perfect casting, though. I mean, this is Arnold's signature role. You know, he's the, they keep bringing him back. Yeah, he's been playing it for another. 40 years. <laughs> Yeah. You know, or whatever. Yeah, you know, we're talking about two movies with long-lasting series. They recast Mad Max. They will not recast The Terminator. They may do him in a CGI, which they've done, I guess. But they're but they're not recasting him because he has not said anything horribly anti-Semitic or racist, <laughs> to my knowledge. 
Well, you know what's actually kind of funny? Uh, we're talking about recasts. You know who was originally considered to play the Terminator? Lance Henriksen, like I just said. Keep up. Him or O.J. Simpson. Oh, but producers no. oh, yeah. feared that he was too nice to yes. come off as a cold-blooded killer. Yeah, I, I heard I heard something about that before, and I don't know. <laughs> you know, that, that seems, I mean, maybe, but that also seems like, oh, isn't that kind of funny? But Well, more interesting, oh, I can't even speak, this cold is killing me. Well, you're doing better than the star of the first movie, don't worry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the movie was made on a budget of about $6.5 and, and it made $78.3 million at the box office. So mm-hmm. really, this was a real smash hit. The Terminator, Terminator 2. This is two really classic movies in the mm-hmm. series. Especially when you watch the second one, you can definitely tell, oh, this is a low-budget movie. You don't really notice it unless you like watch other James Cameron movies that were made for more money than God. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, this is really interesting to see Cameron working pretty low-budget. But yeah, this movie's gritty as hell. It's got the wonderful dark disgusting la locations it just looks great <laughs> it does yeah well and are, are you familiar with like the story behind how terminator was made you mean the ideas i think cameron had like a recurring nightmare didn't he is that what you're going with no so actually what i'm going with is you know cameron wrote the screenplay and he sold it to a woman named gail ann hurd for a dollar oh I under the I condition that hurd was going to do everything in her power to get it funded and have cameron as the director so like she turned down a bunch of other studio offers because they didn't want cameron as the director and i think they finally settled on was it like orion or something like that yeah o- orion's involved there might be other companies too but definitely orion who like orion they were kind of that maybe a notch above canon but certainly a couple <laughs> notches below like MGM or Warner Brothers. But like RoboCop is Orion. You know, it's some some relatively big movies, but not like huge. I think it was Pacific Western. I think they finally settled on. And then Orion had something to do with it as well. Pacific Western. That just sounds like a railroad. That doesn't sound like a film company. <laughs> also, so Gail Ann Hurd, she was also the producer on Aliens. And yes. weirdly, she produced Hellfest. Like 20 years later, 30 years later. So this is the third Gail Ann Heard production we've watched on this podcast. But I know when they made Aliens, she was either dating or maybe married to Cameron. I, I think they, they were married because then I think yeah. she also... Well, James Cameron's married like 10 people. So yeah. <laughs> probably, they probably married at some point. I doubt they were married when the Terminator was made, but yes. No, but I think they divorced or split up anyways by the time that The Abyss came out. Okay, the, the, and that's probably, I know Cameron uh, married Linda Hamilton at some point, so he's probably married to her around really? that time. I don't know. Yeah. And then he was married to Catherine Bigelow at some point, too. But it's funny to see, like, this movie, and then fast forward, you know, 40 years, and he's got Avatar 2, which I haven't seen and I refuse to see because it's just this CGI yeah, I just fucking like like if I wanted to see that, I'd go and watch the newest fucking Ant Man movie coming out, which I'm also not going to see. I'm yeah, I'm not going to see that either. I, I at least trust James Cameron as a director far more than anyone they have directing a Marvel movie. Just you know, <laughs> I I agree. I I'm not going to see Avatar two anytime soon. I saw the first one, didn't really like it that much, but this is the first time I sat down and watched a James Cameron movie, probably since we've covered Aliens. Mm-hmm. I caught a bit of True Lies on TV about a week ago, actually. But Great movie. You know, <laughs> prime James Cameron, be it The Terminator, Terminator 2, Aliens, Titanic, or True Lies to a lesser extent. I think that True Lies is probably the worst of those. 
holy shit, that guy could make a movie. I mean, I mean, oh, for sure. I, again, still, I have no interest in Avatar 2, I guess, maybe because the subject matter. But that man was like born to be a filmmaker you know like yeah give him cars and guns and and actors and yeah, he just knows what movie. he's doing and and <laughs> yeah. and in his writing too because his writing has not always seen in the best light because i think a lot of people criticize like some of the cheesy dialogue in titanic and stuff mm-hmm. but his action movie writing is as good as anyone has ever done like there's the famous scene where the big exposition dump that Michael Bean gives is delivered in the middle of an action scene, and it's like the best possible way you could deliver this information because you're retaining all of it, but it's still in a very exciting scene. And it's like, yeah, no one writes movies like him, you know? No, no. And I, I totally agree. In the 21st century, a weapon will be invented like no other. This weapon will be powerful versatile and indestructible it can't be reasoned with it can't be bargained with it will feel no pity no remorse no pain no fear it will have only one purpose to return to the present and prevent the future this weapon will be called the Terminator. With the help of James Cameron's writing, we open on a pretty accurate depiction of what L.A. is going to look like in 2029. After Trump's second term. <laughs> yeah, with giant robot machines rolling over piles of human skulls and corpses. Oh, it looks amazing. Yeah, it, it looks great. I didn't see The Terminator until I was probably well into my teens. I might have even been an adult. But I saw Terminator 2 pretty young. I think that was probably the first R-rated movie I ever saw. And they do a little bit of, they show a little bit of that future after that nuclear holocaust. And they have the budget to actually pull off the explosion and everything. And yeah, the Terminator to me is just the bleakest, most amazing depiction of like a post, like of, of like a post-apocalyptic world. It's just so awesome. Yeah. All well, these skulls on the ground. Well, because you can machinery. either go like the Mad Max route. Which we're going to be talking about later. Well, listen, is... listen, we'll talk about that. Mad Max, at least the original Mad Max, isn't really post-apocalyptic. You're That's right. kind of a misnomer. But uh, something like Fury Road, let's say, you can go that route. Mm-hmm. Or you can go like the Blade Runner route, where everything's depressing and ugly. And well, Blade gross. Runner's not post-apocalyptic. That's just a depressing future. You're right. Ex- exactly. That's probably yeah. the most accurate post-Trump second term <laughs> world that's in existence. But in this future, we have the rise of the machines and they've wiped out mankind or they're on the verge of wiping out mankind kind and they're just crushing humanity after the opening credits and our famous terminator song dun, 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 or however it goes we cut to present day which is actually 1984 it was present day at, at, at one point or another <laughs> it was yeah when this came out also i love the transition because when it picks back up to modern day 1984 the first thing we see is this big like construction vehicle moving mm-hmm. and so you're conditioned to think that it's the same kind of thing that you were seeing in that post-apocalyptic wasteland because it's just this big machine. And I love, again, that there's just the touches of, of James Cameron, the director. Most filmmakers, I think, would just have a cut and say now or 1984 yeah, or whatever. Yeah. But no, we, we established this like really neat visual touch. Yeah, of, of and this machine turns out to be a garbage truck. Yeah, that's all it is. It's, it's yeah. But a giant naked bodybuilder man... <laughs> 
<laughs> appears in a burst of lightning uh, named Arnold Schwarzenegger. No. <laughs> yeah. no. He's just teleported to the past. I mean, I'm going to be talking about Terminator because everybody knows the story of Terminator. Yeah, I mean, at this point, if you're watching the Terminator for the first time, it's like, oh, the guy what's just wrong appeared. With you? Yeah, I don't. Well, yeah. So what's wrong with you? It's been 40 years. Who who hasn't seen this movie? But but like, yeah. Oh, the guy just appeared. But yeah, we know he traveled back in time. Yeah. Well, this giant hulk of a man decides to rough up some punks, one of which is Bill Paxton. Mm-hmm. Right outside the Griffith Observatory, we get a classic L.A. location yeah, right yeah. off the bat. And as this is going on, another naked man, slightly less bulky but also muscular, teleports back to the past. And this is Kyle Reese. Played by Michael Bean, star of several James Cameron movies and... He's Mr. also Bean. in The Rock. It's the only <laughs> non-James Cameron movie I'm familiar with him being in. So, But he's definitely a James Cameron guy. He's in the... Would you say that he's been in a lot of James Cameron movies? I don't get it. Oh, <laughs> fuck. You're the worst. Well, this guy, Kyle Reese, uh, instead of roughing up some punks, he steals the pants from a homeless man before he's chased by the cops into a clothing store or like a thrift store or something. I mean, it's so dark, like you can't see it too well. But Exactly, I, I mean, yeah. But but we get to watch him put on some nice Nikes. It's stylistic lighting, right? Like because it's dark enough that you can you can still see things happening, but you can still tell what's happening. But it's dark. It conveys that everything that this is the middle of the night. Because I think it's like what one twenty five in the morning or something. One twenty five in the morning. Okay, yeah. I mean, it looks awesome. Yeah, all these cops are after him because he steals a cop's gun. Yeah, he he kind of sneaks past the cops, runs out to the cop car, steals a shotgun, and then keeps going. And then he runs up to a uh, a phone booth and for everybody under the age of 25 phone booths were a thing <laughs> where they had phones on street corners or on the side of the street and you could call people with a quarter the funniest thing about the terminator it's just hilarious to see this robot from the future go back in time and look up sarah connor in a phone i know in a phone book <laughs> like that's just funny i know a future robot like the phone books are gone in you know in 2005 like it's not even like they've been gone for a while yeah you'd be hard-pressed to find a public telephone anywhere today but we see kyle reese kind of thumbing his way through this phone book and he runs down a list of names of a woman named sarah connor and there's like three of them and he rips out the page and runs away Right after that, we're introduced to the Sarah Connor, our Sarah Connor, and she's a waitress at like a family restaurant or whatever. Yeah, a little kid puts ice cream in her. Oh, in her disgusting! Or I would be so upset by that. I would. I would. I would quit so that upset. job right then. <laughs> you fuck you, you stupid kid. But she doesn't. She like drop some trays or something. She knocks. Like she knocks somebody's coffee over. Like she's, yeah. you know, she's not the best waitress. I mean, it's not doing her any favors. You know. Well, she's, it's not even that she's a bad waitress. It's just like this job sucks. Like that's that's really what this scene is all about. This woman's just down on her luck a bit. You know. A hundred percent. Pretty much right after this, we also see Arnie looking through a phone book for Sarah Connor, and then we get one of my favorite scenes in this movie. He robs a gun store. Oh, with Dick Miller, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Which, uh, hang on, is this yeah. the first time Dick Miller has shown up in this podcast? I think it is, and that's kind of amazing. Because few it? people have been in more movies than Dick Miller. He's like a B-movie legend. Chopping Mall, all that stuff. Yeah, and he nails it here, and he also gets nailed here, sort of, with bullets. Arnie asks him to like put all these different guns on the on the counter, and there's a great line where he goes, I also want like a, like a plasma 22 or something like that. <laughs> And yeah, Dick he gets Miller a laser goes, sight. That's probably what he's talking about, right? No, no, because no, because he, he got like a pistol with a laser sight, and then he wanted like a plasma rifle. And Dick Miller's oh, like, oh, I see, I see. Look, what, yeah. all, all, 
Like, like what we have here is, is is what we got, man. Like nothing else. And then he just turns the gun on the guy. And he goes, "Hey, you got to pay for those or something." And he goes, "No, I don't." And <laughs> Arnie just blows him away. There's a scene very similar to this in The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly with Tuco, and that uh, you know, I don't know. If oh yeah, when, when... paying a little homage to that because <laughs> he doesn't kill the guy, but he but he's like asking him like how much for all this, and he names a price and then he just cocks the gun and then he like lowers the price so it's a little it's a little more comedic in that movie but but yeah same kind of thing and you know that's basically my favorite movie ever so also i totally forgot to mention while like when we're meeting sarah connor and she's at work her co-worker calls her into like a back room where on the news arnie has gone to a sarah connor's house and killed her which happens after he gets the gun but yes, yes. yeah yeah, he he just knocks on the door, rings the doorbell, and he's like, this, Sarah like frumpy looking woman answers <laughs> the door. The first Terminator is historical. Yeah. Sarah Connor. Yes. <laughs> and then I, lo- I love her friend at work. She's just like, you're dead, honey. <laughs> like, I like that yeah. delivery. Well, I think she, she comes in and she goes, Sarah, you got to see this. You're going to love this. Like, I would be so mortified if somebody with my name was killed. You know what? I actually told this story a couple times recently. I used to teach at a university. So the university generated my email and it had a middle initial in it because someone already with my first and last name had just graduated from the university. So he had that email. So my students not paying attention would would frequently <laughs> email him when they meant to email me, even though I made it clear first day, middle initial is part of my email address. <laughs> So they would frequently email him, and so every now and then he would email me and be like, yo, you're students again. But the weirder (laughs) part about it is I was living in his apartment. I never met the guy, but he moved out. I remember I called in like, hey, can I tour this apartment? And and she's like, she thought I was like calling to pay rent or something. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not a tenant. And she's like, oh, you're not? And then when I toured the apartment, she's like, you'll never guess who had had this apartment last. I'm like, okay, this is weird. (laughs) This is like an Edgar Allan Poe thing where one of us goes crazy and kills the other one. Like, uh, William Wilson, there's there's a uh, there's something there. But yeah, so so I I don't quite have experience with the Sarah Connor, you know, seeing someone with your name getting killed on TV, but in in another world where I might have gone crazy and killed this other guy, I can relate, I guess, sort of. Well, this guy didn't die, but you know who did die, Patrick? Another Sarah Connor, but she's killed off-screen. And we yeah, learn about you, you, you see him kill the first one. You don't see him kill the second one. That's right. And we learn about this second death through our Sarah Connor's eyes when she's out for dinner by herself because her date stood her up. He didn't stand her up. He's behind the camera. His name's James Cameron. He's just filming the scene, okay? <laughs> yeah. He'll marry you later. Don't worry. Oh, we haven't pointed out that he's a Canadian icon, James Cameron. I'll be honest. I might get my Canadian citizenship revoked, but I didn't even know. You didn't. You didn't know he was Canadian. Okay, no, I fair. didn't. Yeah, it's him and David Dakota are the two great filmmakers <laughs> from Canada. <laughs> well, a mutual friend of ours. He works in uh, the Canadian film industry, and he was putting together like a catalog of like Canadian filmmakers. Yeah, I don't think there's a single James Cameron movie in there. James Cameron never made a Canadian movie. That's no, but if he's a it. Canadian, but if he is Canadian, then he should be in the catalog. Anyways, back to our movie. So Sarah's pretty shaken up by all these other Sarah Connors being killed. Mm-hmm. So she leaves the restaurant and she's on her way home or something, presumably. I don't know. Going out to a club. Yeah. Well, well that's think, after she's home. I think you're right. Arnie shows up at her house and kills her roommate, Ginger, and Ginger's boyfriend, thinking that Sarah Connor is Ginger. 
And then while that's going on, Sarah realizes that somebody's following her, and it's Kyle, or Reese, as we're going to call him, because everybody else calls him Reese in this movie. Or Michael Bean. Mr. Bean, I agree. And also the cops the cops are after her, too, because at this point they're like, okay, there's something going on. Yeah, Someone's like, trying to kill all the Sarah Connors out there. So she hops into this cool club called Tech Noir, and she calls home to try to talk to her roomie Ginger, who's just been killed by Arnie, and... Arnie, who thinks he's just killed Sarah Connor, hears Sarah speaking. She goes, hey, Ginger, it's Sarah. He goes, uh, Sarah's still out there. And she even gives like the address of the club or whatever the name of the club. So he starts heading there. I'm just, I'm just picturing this movie now. If it had, if the Terminator had an internal monologue like that, that we heard like, uh, Sarah's (laughs) still out there. Like (laughs) how much worse the movie would be. Well, also too, like clearly he doesn't like, because he obviously doesn't know what she looks like, right? Which is why he was just killing a bunch of Sarah Connors. Yeah. But then he has, like, the knowledge to, like, rifle through a drawer and look for some ID that she's left at home. So now well, he knows what no, she looks no, like. No, but it, it, he doesn't know what she looks like, but that's not, not because, it's not because he's dumb. They explain it, that there's just, like, so little information about her, like, historically, you know, historically yes. in the yeah. future. So I think that's all fine and dandy. I think I think the Terminator knows, he, listen, he knows enough to look through a phone book. Yeah, exactly. He knows a lot of things about 1984, that's for sure. So Sarah's hanging out at this club. She's called the police. She's finally got through to the police, and they're like, just stay there, don't go anywhere. You're in a place full of people. Nothing bad is going to happen. And as soon as she hangs up the phone, Arnie oh, bursts his way into the club. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. So he's patrolling the club. Eventually, he makes a move on Sarah. He whips out this shotgun, and Kyle Reese sees him from across the bar and just starts pumping rounds <laughs> into Arnold Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger doesn't aim the shotgun. He aims the pistol because we get oh, that was laser, a, yes, you're right. Great shot of the laser sight on her forehead. Our forehead. It looks yeah. amazing. It's so again just cinematic how this is all shot. There's like slow motion here. James Cameron loves this slow motion, but it looks just awesome. I love this scene. I mean, I, I love almost every scene in this movie, but yeah amazing movie and this scene in particular is great because of the setting and everything going on around the main characters and because there's even like a bit where sarah's trying to run away and this is when we kind of first see how indestructible the terminator is because he gets back up after like six shots to the chest or something and he just stands up with like a machine gun or something and he just starts like firing into the crowd of people running trying to hit sarah and like a dead woman falls on top of sarah and stuff there is such like a great sense of panic in this scene and kyle and arnie start going at it and we get this also another really cool shot where kyle just starts pumping rounds and rounds into arnold schwarzenegger and he flies through the front window of this club and he lays there on the floor on the sidewalk very beverly hills cop i know this is bullshit though man i got thrown out of a fucking window please get in the car sir yeah but tell me so what's the charge possession of a concealed weapon and disturbing the peace Disturbing the peace, I got thrown out of a window. What's the fucking charge for getting pushed out of a moving car, huh? Jaywalking? Sarah and Reese hop into an old car and peel out of there. And, and this leads to the exposition dump that you were talking about earlier, or at least I believe mm-hmm. it is. Yeah, yeah. This is so brilliantly delivered. The, the exposition during an action scene. This is like the best example of that that I can think of. Because yeah. a lot of action movies will just stop and have the exposition. This movie does not stop for that. It stops at other times. It's almost like it makes it more interesting and, and you're more drawn into it because the scene itself is pretty tense. Like Absolutely. Sarah and Reese go into like this underground parking lot or something. 
and they break into another car. And as they're trying to hotwire this other car, police officers are driving around looking for them. And also, Arnie's out in a cop car driving around looking for them. They're trying to quietly steal this car, and Reese is also quietly trying to explain to Sarah why he's here, what's going on in the future, and what everything <laughs> means. You know, what, what, like how she. Yeah, he's is. A, he's a Terminator. He's a he's a cyborg inside a living tissue. Like I, I love how yeah. like simply he explains that where like the information all gets through to the viewer but at the same time you can imagine being in sarah connor's situation and all this sounds like insane talk and then this is also where we learn that her child her son is the person that will rise up against these machines in the future and give hope to humanity that is right after screaming at a cameraman think for one fucking second that the fuck are you doing are you professional or not? Yes, I am. Do I fucking walk around and rip that? No, shut the fuck up, Bruce. John Connor. There's been like five John Connors at this point. That that role's been cast as many times as Sherlock Holmes. Well, Edward Furlong in 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 uh, in Terminator Two. Who was John Connor in the most recent Terminator? Like you saw him briefly before somebody went back in time. I don't know. I haven't watched any other Terminator. Uh, in the most recent one, it was Terminator Furlong. 3. Or yeah. it, was, it was like digitally DH Furlong or just CGI Furlong in general because Edward Furlong, you know, he has his own source of gravity nowadays. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and then nice. and then the one before that, it was the guy, I think he's an Australian actor, Clark, I think is his last name. I've Clark seen him Gable? in a bunch of stuff. Well, this quiet car scene ends abruptly when they get the car started and Arnold Schwarzenegger shows up in this underground parking lot. And this leads to probably the coolest chase scene in the movie. You have both cars with both main with all the main characters in it firing shotguns <laughs> at each other across this underground lot, which is pretty awesome. And then they bust out onto the main streets. And this is like, you know, if you showed a foreigner this movie, they would say, oh, this is a, an American action movie. You have people hanging out of cars with shotguns firing them at each other. Like, no, you know I'm what I mean? Thinking, I'm just thinking, you know, this is the 80s. If you show a foreigner this movie, they're like, yeah, this is an American action movie. If you show a, an Italian this movie, yeah, we let's rip it off. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because that's relevant with Mad Max later, obviously. But. Yes, yeah, very relevant. But yeah, and this is a, this is an awesome scene. And also, all the cars in this movie are like old cars from the 70s. So you have these guys shooting shotguns at each other, driving around in these big American luxury land yachts <laughs> in L.A. <laughs> it's just so cool. The chase abruptly comes to an end when Arnold drives straight into a concrete wall. <laughs> and totally destroys his car and seemingly destroys himself but he sneaks away as all these police officers show up and detain reese and Sarah. yeah the, the ultimate ted kennedy move just crash your car and just leave this <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah <laughs> i meant i mentioned uh ted kennedy because they they acted that clark actor the guy that played john connor in terminator genesis uh was was uh ted kennedy in the movie chappaquiddick which i thought was very good so at this point, Sarah's totally on board with everything that, that Reese is, is spitting, you know, because Not she's really. been chased. Well, she's been Not chased that. by this giant Germanic man. Yeah, but she still thinks he's kind of crazy because he gets arrested and, and they're like observing. She's with the cops and that psychiatrist guy who like weirdly is like the star of the series. He keeps coming back for some yeah, reason. He's in like all the Terminator movies, isn't he? Or like he's the first in the first three. Or three. I, I think he's, again, maybe it's because I saw the second one first, but he to me he's most memorable in that second one. He probably has the most to do in that movie, but... 
she's like observing all this and, and this guy's like oh i can write my own retirement checks with with like how crazy this guy is but she's like so he is just crazy like she's, she's not really on board not yet not until no. arnold breaks into the police station and murders 45 cops really. which again also an awesome fucking scene like when he walks up to the cop at like the at the main entrance and he goes where's sarah connor and he goes you have to come back later pal he goes i'll be back <laughs> Yeah. And then rams a car right through the front doors. <laughs> Arnold speaks about 10 words in this entire movie. And somehow he delivers maybe the one of the five or six most iconic movie lines ever. It's kind of amazing. <laughs> uh, you yeah, credit yeah. Arnold, maybe not as an actor, but as a screen presence. Then credit Cameron as a writer and as a filmmaker, obviously. But you, you kind of forget about how kind of darkly humorous the i'll be back scene is because he's like i'll be back and then he literally just comes back with a car seconds <laughs> later and just <laughs> runs this guy over like it's yeah, kind it's of, amazing it's kind of hilarious actually and it's it's not like it's it's kind of meant to be funny right i think so like i i think that's what it's supposed to be there for i definitely laughed anyways i don't know if that makes me a bad person but i thought it was funny well speaking of comedic things we breezed past this point after arnie gets in the car crash when he's chasing sarah connor he goes back to like this apartment that he's rented or whatever and he's like repairing his hand Mm -hmm. and you can and he cuts into his hand with a scalpel and you can see like all the all the inner workings of his arm which is pretty cool i haven't really thought about this he he does get a hotel room yeah yeah and i guess someone someone knocks on the door and then you see in his little robo vision he (laughs) has to make a decision of what to say and he says uh, I think he says "fuck off, asshole" or something. But like, yeah, that's yeah, it, he, yeah. he rented a room. He paid yeah. cash. I assume. like that's kind of yeah. weird. I've never really thought of that. But the weirder and comedic part about this is, I don't know why they decided to do this, but they have like a, I would assume like an Arnold puppet. Yeah, it doesn't look great. No, and it, it looks it's like jarringly bad. Like it's yeah. it, it's distracting from the movie. But they have this Arnold puppet where he's repairing his face and he cuts into his eye with a scalpel, yeah. pulls it out, and then he just has this giant so kind of red, red laser eye. Which is yeah. why he's wearing sunglasses most of the rest of the movie, so people don't notice that, so he can still kind of look like a human being. <laughs> kind of still look like a seven foot tall German man or Austrian. He's just a, he's a huge man, regardless of how tall he is. He's just huge. Again, it's a terrible effect that literally removes you from the movie. I can only imagine that they did that because they ran out of budget or something. I don't. Or well, what, yeah, cause... yeah, I, and that—that's what it is. At the end of the day, this movie's got Stan Winston, effects pioneer Stan Winston, dealing with not as much money as he dealt with in Aliens or you know Terminator Two. Obviously, like you know, they did what they could, but they couldn't quite pull this effect off in a in a really great way. Obviously. Yeah, I mean, I'll give it to them, but again, it's it's jarring. I do love the idea of, of the Terminator just cutting out his own eye and just having, like, a red laser in there. Like, that is cool. I was reading some trivia about this because I was watching this on, on Prime, and originally in Cameron's script, the Terminator was supposed to eat food to repair his, like, human flesh. So there was originally a scene written in where... Isn't that what you do in The Legend of Zelda? Doesn't food repair your health in that? <laughs> I don't does, know, that yeah. seems exactly. like a very That's video exactly game. But there was originally a scene written in where Arnold Schwarzenegger was going to grab a candy bar off a shelf and just put the whole thing in his mouth, like wrapper and all. <laughs> that would have been kind of fun. It would have. It would probably would have been weird. I, I understand them scrapping that. So Arnie goes on a rampage to this police station, kills like literally every cop there, including the chief of police or whatever. Yeah, Lance Henriksen's one of the detectives, or at least he was. 
Like, it's like he's trying to terrorize these people because he goes, he's not just shooting them. I mean, he shoots an awful lot of people, but he specifically cuts off the power. And I love that part when yeah. he's like cut, <laughs> when he's cutting off the power, you just hear this cop in the background say, saying, it's like, I got a shot at him. And he shoots him in the back and Arnold doesn't even flinch. Yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah. And again, here, he looks like such a badass. He's still got that kind of trench coat thing on and he's dual wielding a machine gun and a shotgun. He looks so cool. Reese and Sarah escape just by a hair. They get in a car and just drive. They just drive till they run out of gas, trying to get away from them. And they ditch their car and then they like hang out under a bridge for the night where we get like another big kind of info dump on who Sarah Connor is, according to her son. So like, like yeah, and we this we get a flashback in this scene too, where you see yeah. a little bit more of that post-apocalyptic world. And you see, uh, like, they use dogs to like sniff out terminators because they're undetectable to the naked eye, but dogs can tell. Dogs can tell when it's a robot. Yeah, and a Terminator comes into their bunker and just starts firing a laser blaster thing at people, mm-hmm. which is also kind of fun and exciting. And we also see that Reese had had like a photo that was given to him by, by John Connor of Sarah Connor, and it burned in this fire that this other Terminator created. Reese is like John Connor's best friend in the future, right? Or he's his right-hand man or something. Yeah, yeah, something like that. This scene's really good, too, because she's like, well, why would you even... Who would volunteer for this thing? And then he looks at her and he's like, you know, ever since I saw that photo, I just wanted to see you. And at first, he, when he first says it, he's kind of like, oh, it was a chance to meet the legend. Like, you know, the yes, Sarah yeah. Connor, the woman who gave birth to the most heroic man who's ever lived but then it's also like no he's been in love with her since he saw that photograph it's like okay this is interesting and that kind of continues in this next scene where they walk to a motel and get a room and sarah calls her mom but and this is another great scene this is a great reveal where the camera then cuts to the cab and starts panning around and you can see that there's like a hole blown in the door and everything the door's off its hinges and the cabin is in a state of disarray and the camera just pans to arnie pretending to be sarah's mom he's got like a voice filter on yeah he can imitate the voice perfectly I haven't brought this up yet. What happened to his eyebrows? He had eyebrows at the beginning of the movie. He got caught on fire at some point in that car chase, and I think they just burned off. Oh. <laughs> oh because he's, he, most of the time you don't notice it because he's wearing the sunglasses, and, and he yeah. wears the sunglasses mainly because of the eye. Well, because I couldn't remember. I was like, when did his eyebrows go missing? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm picturing it as oh that that Arnold puppet. They just forgot to put eyebrows on, and it's like oh, I guess we gotta shave his <laughs> his real eyebrows yeah. now. <laughs> Anyways, Arnie gets the phone number from Sarah, and he calls it back. And immediately, I like how it switches from Sarah's mom's voice to his Austrian <laughs> voice. He's like, "Give me your address." <laughs> so he now he now he knows where they're hiding out. Well, and also we get one of the most lovingly tender sex scenes in like an otherwise straightforward sci-fi action movie yeah this is a good love story for like a genre film you know it is and you know this might have not actually happened because i was reading somewhere that no it happened i saw the movie (laughs) but the main financial backer for terminator was orion and there were two things that they suggested about the movie one was that they wanted a cyborg dog to accompany reese and james cameron was like no i'm not fucking doing that and the other idea was that'd be a little silly but you could go full boston dynamics and just you know one of those things yeah now that would have been kind of cool and you put like a machine gun on it have a scene where the car breaks down they have to ride the the mechanical dog around (laughs) (laughs) oh that'd be great yeah (laughs) 
be like Paddington too when the when Paddington rides the Irish Wolfhound. <laughs> okay, you might be one of the only people who saw Paddington too, but all everyone on Earth has seen Paddington too. It's one of the most acclaimed films of this century. Don't lie to me. <laughs> You're the only person who hasn't seen it. It's one of the best How movies ever. You? What are you? Talking I'm not even about? kidding. Paddington too is amazing. <laughs> I can't tell if you're serious or not. I oh, why I wouldn't know. I be serious? It's one of the most I don't know. You're confusing me. Family films ever made. I hate children, and this made me want to have them. That's how awesome it is. The first Paddington's good. Second one is like a masterpiece. <laughs> okay, I'll believe you. I'll believe you. Well, the other thing that Orion wanted that James Cameron agreed with was that they wanted a strengthening of the relationship between Kyle and Sarah. Oh, so okay. I don't know if, if, if a love scene was originally written in or if John Connor was originally going to be Kyle Reese's son, which spoilers, okay. but it, it, it could be because of Orion. I would have assumed that was just his thing, right? Because he's, I mean, Titanic and Avatar and... Maybe maybe Orion has been financially backing him ever since. <laughs> Orion went under. Orion oh, went no. under in like 1989. <laughs> I think it's back now, but it did go oh. under. Yeah, so, you know, maybe the sex scene in, in this, the tender, loving sex scene, we might be able to attribute to Orion. But, uh, yeah, so Arnie's hot on their trail, but Reese and Sarah are hot for each other. And they bone! Then Arnie shows up <laughs> and, and puts a, and puts an end to their fun. And he, uh, again, chases them. But this time he's on a motorcycle and they're in somebody's stolen pickup truck. And they're driving along and they're throwing pipe bombs, these homemade pipe bombs out at Arnie. And they're missing them, every single one of them. <laughs> they're missing them because this isn't Mad Max 2 where we're trying to kill stuntmen. Well, <laughs> Uh, yeah. Thankfully, we don't have to talk about that incident because that's the second Mad Max movie. So well, we I can't just... wait to do the second Mad Max because yeah. that's a very. I'm, interesting I'm actually incident. not sure if someone died. I think maybe he was like paralyzed, but I, mean, I think he was enough. paralyzed. Close enough. Yeah, because he hit both his legs right, and he landed on his back and everything. He yeah, cartwheeled through the air. The spirit of John Landis is alive and well in Australian <laughs> film. <laughs> oh, no, Arnie gets knocked off of his motorcycle. By the way, he shoots Reese. As well, he shoots him in the side as Reese is throwing pipe bombs at him. Mm-hmm. But Sarah knocks Arnie off of his motorcycle, but she loses control of the truck that they're driving, and it kind of tumbles them down the road, flips them over. And as Arnold Schwarzenegger is laying in the middle of the road, a big giant like semi, like an oil tanker, rolls up and just runs him over. <laughs> it's a great scene where he looks up briefly, and the guy goes, "Oh shit!" and he just hits this Terminator. And now he's all, like, bloodied and beaten. He looks like he's on the verge of death, but he isn't really on the verge of death. And he hops in this tanker truck. He throws everybody out, and he starts chasing Sarah and Reese with his tanker truck. And they're on foot. And Reese hangs back for a second, and he says, Hey, Sarah, keep running. Whatever you do, don't stop running. And he he shoves a pipe bomb into the tanker truck somewhere. I don't know. Yeah, the exhaust pipe or something. Yeah. We're not going to fall for a banana in the tailpipe. You're not going to fall for the banana in the tailpipe? (laughs) <laughs> it should be more natural, brother. It should flow out like this. Look, man, I ain't falling for no banana in my tailpipe. Takes forever to go off. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like 45 seconds. Can we have used a slightly longer wick, please, sir? Yeah, the thing explodes in this giant fireball. It's so fiery and explosive and hot. Fire usually is, yes. All of those things. Well, it melts all the all the real people skin off of Arnold Schwarzenegger. So now he's just this terrifying looking robot. And we got to talk about this. So we haven't talked about the design of the Terminator yet. I'm sure everyone's seen it. Everyone knows what it is. But what a design. So cool. 
it looks like a skeleton, but it, I mean, it, it doesn't look organic. It obviously looks like a machine, but it definitely meant to look a little like a skeleton. I think kind of an inspiration was uh, Jason and the Argonauts, the famous. Oh, um, yeah. Okay. Fight. Yeah. Uh, especially because this is all stop motion here once we get to it. So definitely. Well, th- there's a mix between stop motion and like a puppet that you could yeah. tell. Yeah. You could see like sometimes you see a close up of the foot or something, you know, or, or the or the upper torso moving through sure. the through the factory. Sure. But, but yeah, it's amazing. And the red all eyes, that having, touch. all of that having been said, you know, the design's perfect. This climax kind of falls flat for me. And it's really the only part of the movie that does. And it's a few reasons. One, it's just that stop motion is aged. Stop motion never looks perfect, right? Uh-huh. In King Kong and stuff, because it's like basically all stop motion, you kind of accept it. You kind of get used to it. Here... It, there's like no stop motion until this scene, so it's kind of just to all of a sudden be hit with all that jank. It's just a little weird and awkward. And But then also, to me, what's so perfect about the Terminator as a villain, what's so terrifying, isn't that he's a robot. It's that he's a robot who's indistinguishable from man. Yeah. He's just a guy. Now, mm-hmm. he's just a robot. I mean, you know, obviously, Sarah... And Reese are the only one that's the only ones that see him, but you think like in this scenario, imagine him tracking her down in the middle of an LA street when he's just a robot. Everyone would look at that and go, "Oh, it's a robot." Yeah, you know, like it's it loses that that like intimidation factor of like I don't know. It just doesn't quite work for me. And no, I mean, I, this scene's not I agree bad. With you. I agree it's with just you. not. Well, because half of half of what makes the performance interesting is Arnold Schwarzenegger playing this robotic assassin. Yeah. Right. Right. He's just this cold bastard who's he doesn't have emotions because he's a robot. But now he's just he's just now he's just a robot who like even if he you know he, he can't even show emotions. He is a robot. Like it's literally a robot face. Earlier he had a human face, so it's weird. It's creepy that he doesn't show emotion. You know. Now it's yeah. just oh, it's a robot. And also, too, I think it's a little drawn out, this climax, where, just to quickly sum it up, they run through this factory. They're turning all these machines on to confuse the Terminator. And uh, eventually, Kyle Reese takes this last pipe bomb and shoves it kind of in, like, the rib cage area or something of the Terminator. And it explodes. And it kills Reese. But the Terminator, who's only the, who, who's now only existing from the torso up, kind of crawls after Sarah, who's also crawling because her ankle or leg is injured or whatever. Mm-hmm. And Sarah traps him between a hydraulic or in a hydraulic press and crushes him and mm-hmm. we see the life drain out of his robot eyes and then yeah. that's the end now, you know there's still a lot of things that this climax does right even though overall this is one of my least favorite parts of the movie they still do a lot of neat stuff that with the you mean kyle reese is he can't move and and sarah's trying to get him up and she goes to his past which is weirdly his future and is like get up soldier and like there's that stuff which is really great and then there's like this terminator is like limping but she's limping so like everyone's just like struggling to move and it's it feels like everything up to this point has truly taken its toll on the characters human and robot Uh and that stuff's all great it's just i don't love the scene overall but there's a lot of really neat stuff there but the real ending of the movie yeah. is it's, you know, cut to, I don't know, what is it, like a year later or like six months later or something. And Less than Sarah's, nine months. And Sarah's driving to Mexico or she's in Mexico. Mexico and she's filling up at a gas station and she's kind of making these recordings for her, for John Connor. 
She also gets her photo taken by this little Mexican boy who fleeces her for $4. And it's the same photo that Kyle Reese had had that got burned mm-hmm. in the future. Partially burned, by the way, we, we yeah, because we did see it. It wasn't like completely, but yeah. And then that's kind of the real end. She's like, uh, like this Mexican dude is like, there's a storm coming. And she goes, oh, I know. And she drives off into some CG mountains. And then that's the real end of the movie. Probably not CG. It's matte painting, I'm sure. But yes. Oh, you're right. Probably some, some, some matte painting mountains. But Patrick, my friend, what did you think of the famous The Terminator? I mean, it's a, it's an amazing movie. It's really close to being perfect. It's that climax doesn't quite give me what I was hoping for after, you know, the first hour and a half or whatever. And that's really one of my main complaints. I like when the movie's slow, when it's just the Terminator hunting down Sarah Connors one by one. I like when the <laughs> yeah. movie speeds up and it's that car chase with Reese and the Terminator. I like all that stuff. I love the shootout in the police station. The, I mean, we mentioned the the puppet Arnold head isn't great. It's mm-hmm. maybe even terrible. And then the uh, <laughs> the stop motion is good. It's just so dated. But the effects overall are pretty good. Like all the stuff we see with the post-apocalyptic future. And again, the design of that robot is amazing. The skeleton robot. He's got teeth. He just looks really cool. I think one thing that the movie really pulls off tremendously well and that none of the sequels do, and, and I guess just to preface this, the Terminator is not my favorite Terminator movie. Terminator 2 is and always will be probably, mm-hmm. but the original, The Terminator, is kind of a horror movie and none of the sequels are, but this movie is terrifying. It's it's a slasher movie about a robot going after a woman and hunting her down and then i mean even think of like the climax the climax as much as i don't love it that's a horror movie climax it's this monster going after a woman who you know usually they just trip and fall over because they're dumb bimbos in horror movies no this time (laughs) she's just limping because she's injured it's the same kind of thing um the terminator is an excellent action film it's an excellent excellent science fiction film you know, there's that awesome causality loop where um, Kyle Reese goes back in time and becomes his best friend's father. And then it's it's a pretty damn good horror movie, too. It's like this. Yeah, it's just really good. Jim, what about you? What do you think of this movie? Well, I completely agree with you. I also just want to mention, like, the pacing of the movie is fantastic. Sure. Because it does slow down at times, but... But it's never too slow. And, and it feels earned when you you have a chance to develop a romance that largely works. Yeah. Or you have a chance to show Kyle Reese being crazy at the police station and Sarah's still trying to figure out what she thinks of the guy. So it's all in service of the actual story. It's not just being slow because, I don't know, we're having like a, a slow fucking scene. I don't know, you know? It all means something. It's basically a perfect script in the structure sense, in the A to B to C, like everything leads to the next thing. Something that you said about some of the effects, like, yeah, they're a little outdated, but they still work for what they are. You know what I mean? Like, other than the other than the Arnold puppet thing, most of them still work. But I don't so know So specifically you... the stop motion here. Yeah, and I, and I agree. It's, it's, again, stop motion can never look perfect. It's always going to look just something off, but it's good. It's impressive. It's just, maybe there's just too much of it. I can't. It takes me out of the movie a bit just because it's stop motion. That's what it kind of does. Yeah, exactly. So with that, uh, I think we're ready to move on to Mad Max. From the director of Babe, Pig in the City and Happy Feet 2 comes (laughs) 
the godfather of all Ozploitation films, or not really, because I think everyone on Earth says the Road Warrior is better than this, but here we've got Mad Max. Jim, I assume you've probably seen this movie before, right? Absolutely. Maybe? Absolutely. Okay. Mad Max, and I, I think this is, I guess, from the sequels, but Mad Max is like the post-apocalyptic movie series, right? Yeah. So how weird is it you go back and see the original and it's like, oh, it's not even close to post-apocalyptic. There's like kind of a functioning society a little bit. Yeah, well, so the first Mad Max movie I saw was Road Warrior, which I think was probably most people's first Mad Max movie. I I think so. The the first Mad Max movie did really well, but Road Warrior was a huge hit when that came out. And and the reason they released it under the Road Warrior is because they weren't sure a lot of people had seen Mad Max. I think eventually it got re-released as Mad Max 2. So years later, and this was probably when I was in my mid to late teens, I was talking to my parents about Mad Max. And I said, yeah, it's kind of like a, you know, it's it's a post-apocalyptic society. And my dad goes, not really in the first one. And like, what do you mean? He goes, well, like society is kind of like crumbling, but there is still some sort of society that exists. Yeah, I think that would surprise a lot of people because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who've at this point, the only Mad Max movie they've seen is the recent one. Yeah, Fury Road. Which they are making a Furiosa movie that's been talked about basically since that movie came out. But I think it's scheduled for 2024 now. So with George Miller directing again, that would be interesting. Yeah. But, I mean, can she wear an outfit like, like, uh, oh, fuck, what was his name? Isn't his character's name in the movie was, was it Fifi? <laughs> he was like the chief of police. Yeah, I would like to see Charlize Theron shirtless for most of the movie, sure. Yeah, but it. <laughs> that'd be great. If yeah, she can but... grow the mustache, too, that'd be awesome. Yeah, and wear a black, like, scarf. Like, everybody in this movie was dressed like a leather daddy. Not as yeah. much as, like, the road warrior. Not really post-apocalyptic. It says it says it's like set a few years from now or something like that. We don't really. There's not that like opening title like explaining what the world is. We're, we just kind of see it and we see there's a bunch of weirdos. The the police don't have a lot of power and there seem to be certain parts of like the highway where it's basically just lawlessness. It's like it's like yeah. the old west really. Well, and again, it's weird because this movie you have like a police force. You have people living in houses and yeah shit. i think they're mfp motherfucking police is that what they're called that's oh, what, no, yeah main, that's what i thought it stood for I was main, like, main force patrol they've also got lawyers in this yeah. post-apocalyptic world i don't make of that what you will dystopian may or may not be the right word i always thought maybe this is just my you know i i maybe i just learned the word wrong but when i first heard of dystopia when i was like a kid i always thought there was something like dystopian it's not just that like the world is horribly imperfect it's that at one level or another the world seems to be kind of perfect and then you look a little bit deeper and it's actually like a nightmare and i oh, to I me what you're saying but i don't know if that's the correct way to define it because but i was just going to say this movie nothing seems good like this seems like a miserable world right no or even like i would again to bring something like blade runner up i, I would call that a dystopian future yeah, I think that fits better with the definition that I've always believed than this movie would. But but yeah, Mad Max is kind of, in, in a lot of ways, it's a sort of a straightforward revenge movie. But it doesn't really become that until like the second half of the movie. And there's, I guess, world building. We kind of see, there's there's clearly, it's never said, but there's clearly like a gasoline shortage. Or do they call it petrol in Australia? Probably petrol, but I know in the most recent Mad Max movie they called it guzzoline. 
But you see that basically just with our criminal gang characters when they burst into town. That's like the first thing they do is they steal a bunch of gas. And later on, you see them like jumping onto like a truck and they basically do like a Breaking (laughs) Bad, like gasoline heist, (laughs) like what they do with uh, methylamine in season five of Breaking Bad. It feels very Butch Cassidy. It feels very Old West, like train robbery. Now, my question for you is, why is it in these in these types of dystopian movies? We'll call it dystopian. And in these movies, you always have like bands of bad people roaming. But why I think are they you and always, I are thinking the same thing? But why are they always like weird and like circus-like? Yeah, okay. You know what I mean? This, <laughs> like, this was what? this was literally going to be the next thing I mentioned. I was going to say. <laughs> I, I like Mad Max. Let's be clear. I like yeah. Mad Max. I like the Mad Max series. You know, yeah. I, I think I like, I don't really like Beyond Thunderdome, but Road Warrior yeah, is very good. Fury Road is very good. But Mad Max does this, it's probably my least favorite thing in movies just about where every villain is just like a crazy psychopath. And it's just <laughs> like, I just don't like that. I, I saw something recently because I, I know you've seen the menu and the menu, uh, Nicholas mm-hmm. Holt is in it. And someone said, like, no one plays, like, weirdo who worships someone quite like Nicholas Holt and and referred to, like, The Menu (laughs) and Fury Road. And it's like, I thought he was good in The Menu, but Fury Road, he's just like a weirdo. He's just like, ah, he's just screaming. It's like, I don't like that. He belongs in Cirque du Soleil in Fury Road. Yeah, I don't know what it is. That's, like, my least favorite type of villain character. I I, I don't know. But, yeah, I don't know why Mad Max does that. I know all the Mad Max ripoffs, all the knockoffs did that, but those are more fun. I mean, they're not better movies, but those villains to me are more fun because it's it's funny to <laughs> the bad italian dubbing and stuff and but yeah that's just a thing that's that's just a thing that i don't know if mad max started that but well I, you it do, popularized I, and it. that's what i'm wondering if they started it and it's also weird that we have this world where you have these leather daddy police officers and the guy who's in charge of them smoking cigars, a mustachioed man who's shirtless a lot of the time he looks like um speaking of fury road he looks like bronson the character that uh yeah when tom hardy plays bronson he's got that exact like mustache he kind of looks like him but then you also have normal people like max's wife well how normal is she if she names her kid sprog you're right i don't know but but then also too near the beginning there's like a couple <laughs> who are towing like an rv or something or towing a camper and they're like yeah, oh there we're all normal people here like they're, they're super normal, normal. But How then, about that old grandma lady? She's she, awesome. She's normal. She's got leg braces, but that's normal. But then she's also got like a big retarded son or something, which is less than normal, you know? So I don't... Whoa, 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 buddy. Listen, they're, they're normal people, okay? They can't... <laughs> You're right. I mean, they're normal, but you know what I mean? Like, why did you, like, you know? No, like, you know I, I, I understand what you mean. That feels like a, let's throw that in because it's like a weirdo post-apocalyptic thing. But I mean, I don't know. But <laughs> yeah. no, I, I, get, I get everything you, you're saying here. I do. Also, this will mean something to you and at least one of our listeners. Hi, Katie. How's it going? But why are the police cars, why do they all look like they're like dressed up for a Queen's University parade, like homecoming parade or something? It's that like perfect yeah. tricolor, it's uh, yellow, blue, and red. It I looks know. like Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. <laughs> Cargill, walk faster than my right. Ha <laughs> ha Fuck off. What do you, Fuck what Queens. Are you What's wrong Sorry, with Katie. You? Nothing. You don't even know Katie. Do you? No, I don't. I don't think you do. I know her, but yeah. I but if she I likes talk. queens, I apologize. But yeah, anyways. Tomorrow in a world gone mad, <laughs> the 
only law will be a renegade squad of suicidal cops. He's my prisoner, and he's not walking out that door. And the open road will be controlled by gangs of glory roaders. Max is a cop, one of the best. Where does they're out to get you? Scoot jockeys? Yeah, no man trash. Mm. Well, I'll add it to my trade collection. Mad Max begins with police officers spying on naked women having sex or something. He's well, he says, is he spying? Like he's is he going to shoot them or is he just trying to get a better look through his scope? First off, I thought it was two men. Is it? I thought there was a woman. I think he's just spying, spying on him through his sniper scope. I think so too. I think he's just a creepy pervert, but <laughs> but it's a gun. It looks like he's ready to shoot them, but then there's a radio call. All the the police dispatch. All the police officers are sent after a cop killer named the Night Rider, who's driving <laughs> his car around and screaming the entire time. And I guess at some point he gets access to their radio lines because he's screaming at them. And basically everything he does is scream. Um, he's got his girlfriend in there and he's like screaming and laughing and again he is movie crazy villain guy movie crazy gang guy these two cop cars are going after him and they get in a number of accidents the night rider almost runs over a little child and in order to avoid hitting the child these other cop cars end up crashing so they finally call in Max, who has who has had access to this entire conversation over the radio the entire time, and yet <laughs> yeah. he's taking his damn time to get ready. It's almost like they call him in when they realize no one else can catch him. We do have a character named Goose. He's uh, he he's also involved in this scene. He crashes. Uh, he looks like Max von Sydow. He does. Young Max von Sydow. You're right. He does. Like blonde Max von. Sydow. Yeah, he he looks a lot like him. I think. But uh, Max eventually enters the fray and max first of all a great introduction to a movie character we get a lot of shots of just like parts of him like his boot or like you kind of see his sunglasses his in the gloves. rear view mirror yeah his gloves he's dressed in like all black a little little leather daddy look like you were saying <laughs> not as much like he pulls it off with more class i think than a lot of the other guys yeah well some of the guys look gay and there's nothing wrong with that and some of the guys look like slobs the chubby cop kind of looks like a like a village person or something. He, there's something <laughs> about him. Uh, I, I agree, but Max just looks like a cool post-apocalyptic warrior guy. And he eventually chases this guy down and forces him into... <laughs> he crashes and blows up. And this is the opening scene of the movie. It's it, Right off the bat, we established... I mean, let's face it. No one does car stunts like George Miller. No one on the planet. He's the only no one. No one. Maybe Hal Needham might have a, a say in this. Hal Needham was the guy that did, like, he produced, like, the Smoking the Bandit, Cannonball Run type movies, but oh. different kinds of car stunts. Yeah. These are, like, brutal and awesome and just really, really cool. And and you can tell they're on a budget here, right? I mean, it's, oh, it's yes. an Australian movie, you know, <laughs> and, and it's shot in the desert. And I almost wonder, like, is the reason the Mad Max movies are, like, post-apocalyptic or, again, in this case, not post-apocalyptic, but just... It's because they're shot in the outback area. Yeah, is it just because they're shot in the middle of nowhere and then well, that's just like what? what they have? Well, I was thinking about it. Because it saves like, money. Well, exactly. And I was like, it saves money. But also, if you if you don't have a budget, really, it's easy to do stunts on a road that maybe one car drives down once a week. 
That's true. Yeah. yeah, that's a huge, huge reason. A hundred. So you get a whole shit ton of back roads all for yourself to film this low budget movie where you're flipping cars into ditches for you know an hour and a half. It's just the middle of nowhere. It's wonderful. So this opening scene, pretty good. But already I'm irritated by if the rest of the villains are going to be like Knight Rider. Like Ooh, I'm not not a big fan <laughs> of this. But also. So the Knight Rider guy. Yeah, because they all have, like, they kind of all have goofy names. Like, the only villains we get names of are Knight Rider, Toe Cutter, Johnny the Boy. Not Johnny Boy, <laughs> Johnny the Boy. Yeah, Johnny the Boy. And Bubba Zanetti. Yeah. It's just a lovely name. But yeah, so they all have kind of weird names. This is, again, this is like a post-apocalyptic motorcycle gang thing. You mentioned the eyebrows with Arnold. Toe Cutter is missing an eyebrow, which I thought was kind of a weird, neat look. <laughs> Makes him look even more crazy. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Need is the word I'd use. <laughs> After this, we see that Max has a loving and fulfilling family life at home with his wife, Jesse, and their son, Sprog. Yeah, what's his name? Sprog? Like S-P-R-O-G? Sprog? When I was watching this movie and they mentioned that the son's name was Sprog, I got so angry for a second. I'm like, no, why'd you give him a <laughs> sci-fi name? This is the only like sci-fi thing in the movie. Then I read... Sprog is just slang for like Australian. It's it's Australian slang for like a child or maybe boy or something. It's like oh, so it's not a sci-fi name, even though it kind of sounds like a sci-fi name. Like Sprog sounds like a name of like a minor character in Star Wars, really. But no, it's when, just, when I heard it, when I heard that's it, just how Australians talk, I guess. <laughs> when I heard it spoken, I thought she said Spock at first. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, there's a little there's a little live long and prosper sound to it. I'll give you. Well, that. didn't yeah. live too long, you know what I mean? That's fair. Sprog. The hated brother of Spock. <laughs> He's lord to Spock. <laughs> so at any rate, Max Rockatansky, which I feel like is never given enough credit. It's one of the coolest movie hero names ever. And I feel like there's probably entire movies in the series that don't even say the word Rockatansky, and I think they only say it once or twice here. You need to include that name. It's an amazing last name. Max Rockatansky. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> So uh, Max Rakotansky goes into work, and his uh, the people at the MFP are giving him a new police car, which is this, like, souped-up something. I don't know. And it's got that, like, what is that, like, an exposed engine or something? Yeah, it's got, like, it's got, like, a giant intake on it. Intake, okay. And what's the point of that other than making it making visibility considerably worse? Well, first off, I'm not even sure intake is the correct word. Secondly, I think it's there because you're getting more oxygen to the engine. Okay. Which is creating like a leaner mixture. So you're actually like improving like the power that your car is getting because it's getting like a better mixture of gasoline and air or something. Okay. So there, there's, there is a, a seemingly a purpose to it. Okay. I wouldn't yeah, have known that. Yeah. I mean, it just looks cool. Let's be honest. Oh, it looks awesome. It looks cool. I also think it would slightly hamper visibility. <laughs> I mean, maybe not in, maybe not in your, when you're just driving in the open road, but if you're trying to squeeze into a parking space probably going to be an issue his car is actually a black gt falcon muscle car it's called the pursuit special also referred to as the last of the v8 interceptors a top three movie car for me and it, to be fair it's number three and it's a distant number three but you got the delorean obviously uh-huh. and you got to have the smoking the bandit pontiac trans am that's just an amazing car but this might be my number three what about the general lee 
well, that's more TV, anyways, and I've never fucking seen that show. So, you oh, know, okay. I know I know it's iconic, but I mean, we could get into the Batmobile. Like, we could take any TV because like, then Mystery Machine, you know. But I'm just, you know, this is the DeLorean, DeLorean, the Pontiac Trans Am, <laughs> Bandit's car, and then this. Like, what am I missing? Answer me that. I don't think you're missing anything. Honestly, you know what I'm missing is the uh, is the is the Ferrari from Ferris Bueller. Although it's <laughs> it's painful to talk about that, to talk about a movie where Matthew Broderick drives a car, but and that's kills. a pretty <laughs> iconic movie car. Let's be honest. So it's revealed that the reason the other people on the police give Max this car is they're basically bribing him because they know he's considering leaving, and he is their best pursuit officer. You know, so so they just need him, and in the I guess you can kind of see this police force does not have a lot of power and you see this really right away when you see that like hall of justice sign and it's like in disrepair and it's like yeah there's no money going into law enforcement Mm -hmm. this is a defund the police movie this is post defund the police aoc has gotten her way (laughs) and this is the world (laughs) that we're left in Uh, uh yeah i would also argue less on the this is like polar opposite of the defund the police thing but this movie is in some ways capitalist propaganda (laughs) okay yeah hear me out this movie is all about how you should never take a vacation from work and you should never quit your job (laughs) because your your wife and child will get run over by a gang of (laughs) evil (laughs) they're not mutants but they feel like they're mutants almost they're just weirdos Are you thinking about quiet quitting your job here? Let's run you over with them with, with before, a toe cutter. Before I like the idea that a company will get like all of their employees together. Like if any of you are thinking about quitting, watch Mad Max first. Exactly. <laughs> this movie's the reason Reagan got elected. Let's <laughs> but you know that being said, this movie you know could also. You know, be about, you know, not pissing off motorcycle gangs, which, by the way, not to make this too, uh, or not to bring this down too much, I should say, a guy in the GTA the other day, he flipped off a car that was going too fast through his neighborhood. They backed up and shot him 13 times. Doesn't that always happen in GTA? (laughs) Isn't that what those games are entirely about? (laughs) Oh, you're the worst. Anyways, let's move on. For those of you not in the know, GTA is the greater Toronto area. Yes, Jim, I did know that, but... Listen, I know got you got know. Americans listening who don't know that stuff. So, okay, so let's get slightly back on track here. Max is informed that Toe Cutter, who is we've heard him mentioned by the Night Rider, he is the leader of whatever gang the Night Rider was in. He wants Max dead, and Max isn't really at all concerned about this. He's just like, yeah, whatever. It's it's there's the true attitude of someone who named his son Sprog. He's just like, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't care about anything. We see the toe cutter and his gang of misfit mutant uh, motorbikers arrive into town, which the town almost looks like it's a set from like an old Western. They start terrorizing the town. They steal gasoline. They intimidate the hell out of this guy that's like works at the train station or something. Mm -hmm. And then this young couple sees these guys and drives away, but then they chase him down. They force the car to crash. They break into it and they... I guess rape the woman. We don't really see it. And then the guy, we just kind of see him later on just nakedly running away from everything. So they just like (laughs) mess with these guys. This is a really good scene, specifically when they're, when all of these guys are breaking into the car, they do something really neat with the editing where the shots 
are like kind of long. All these scenes, shots of like people stabbing things into the car and breaking windows and stuff. The shots go on for like a reasonable amount of time and then they get quicker and quicker and quicker as the danger becomes more imminent for these Mm -hmm. two young characters. And I think that's really neat what George Miller does there. Max and Goose show up at the scene where this woman is. And there's also Johnny the Boy. Johnny the Boy... (laughs) is of all the characters he's probably the most crazy i guess in terms of just how he talks and and it's like i don't understand what he's saying half the time and he's just acting like a goofy kind of post-apocalyptic guy yeah max and goose try and help this poor woman they also arrest johnny the boy johnny the boy gets released because no one is willing to testify against him there's the scene you mentioned the lawyer the lawyer shows up they do a very Mm -hmm. clear thing of like making the lawyer like look and sound as like wimpy and pathetic as possible yeah (laughs) yeah for whatever message this movie has you know politically if it's one way or the other they're trying to make this guy puny and useless and these cops are the real men or at least that's how they see it Mm mm-hmm And they're disappointed. Goose, in particular, takes it personal that they're going to release Johnny the Boy. So he actually starts beating him when Max holds him back. Johnny the Boy gets released, threatens Goose, says, like, we know who you are. We know where you live or whatever. The next scene is a very strange scene on the beach where the toe cutter has a nice little talk with Johnny the Boy. And I guess he's trying to get him to kill Goose. But then the scene ends with him kind of just walking with him out into the sea. And that's it. You know what? I don't understand anything about that scene. And I again, it's this whole like I mean they're shooting mannequins people. and the, yeah, you know yeah. there's yeah, well, then, it is the And then they put the mannequin up and toe cutters like, "Oh, it was given to us by the bronze," which is their slang for the police. And he's like, "I want Johnny the boy to shoot him." Or what like what like what the fuck is going on here? Well, no, he he, he has Bubba Zanetti shoot it, but Johnny the boy is upset that they're shooting the mannequin because I don't maybe he fucks it. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but it's strange. It's a strange scene. All of my least favorite stuff is... And it's not Toe Cutter. Toe Cutter's neat. It's it's his gang. Because Toe Cutter, is, he's a weirdo, but he's like... He doesn't act like the others so much. Like, I can sort of see what he's up to. Like, he's not just completely insane and all the others are just like ah, screaming, hooting and hollering constantly. I think the yeah. Knight Rider is probably the worst. Yeah, well, like, Toe Cutter... He almost kind of reminded me of like the precursor to uh, Joe, whatever the hell that character's name was. The the main oh, and, it's this, guy. and I, you probably knew this, but it's the same actor as Immortan Joe in Fury yes, Road. Yes, exactly. Yeah, Hugh yeah. Hugh Keys Byrne, I think, is his name, or I don't know. I'm, I'm probably not pronouncing that right, but but yeah. So I mean, I'm wondering if Miller was looking at that and he was like, "Oh, this is great." I remember what Immortan Joe looks like, but I don't really remember much about him. Otherwise, he's got like a a Bane slash Darth Vader look. Yeah, he's got like a like a weird mask on with teeth. And he's got lots of eyeliner on, and, <laughs> and he's got fluffy white hair that hangs out behind his head. You might be right that there's a strong similarity in the characters, or or at least this is the, like the precursor. You might be right. I can neither confirm nor deny. Goose goes to a nightclub at some point, and the nightclub apparently has Diane from Cheers singing. I, that woman, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who she is, but she reminds me of. <laughs> A lot of um, Diane Chambers. I can't remember that actress's <laughs> name, but she's just like this tall, leggy Australian woman who's like way too thin or something. And it's not like a strip club, but 
I think this is supposed to be kind of like a sex club of some sort, right? It, I'm not really sure, but I kind of took it to mean that it was like a lounge, but people were getting frisky because yeah, maybe. But but Goose is there by himself, and he's just really into the show. <laughs> yeah, really into it. And while he's watching the show, Johnny the boy messes with his motorcycle. And the next day, when he's out riding his motorcycle, he goes at a certain speed, and he there's something wrong with his motorcycle, so he is launched from it in an amazing stunt. And you think, oh, that killed him. But no, it doesn't because he just gets a pickup truck and then he's just driving around. And then Johnny the boy makes the pickup truck crash because he like throws something into the, the windshield. And the the car, it's, it's upside down and there's oil leaking or gasoline leaking. And there's a really great scene where the tow cutter gets Johnny the boy to kill him or, or at least you know to to light the thing on fire because he's like he like takes a joint and he's like johnny give me a light and then and then he lights it and then he's like no give me another one and so he <laughs> lights the match and, and he the toe cutter wants him to drop the thing to just light it up and but he doesn't want to but he does and that's a really neat scene he, it doesn't technically kill him because he's he's i think he's alive in the hospital you hear him breathing but i, I also think, think so. he does very i think he does die yeah, I think he yeah. does die. He just, the next time we see him, he's still alive. But yeah, Max goes to the hospital to visit his good buddy, and we kind of just see a charred arm. And it also looks like he's in like a, based on just the shape of whatever sheet they have over, it almost looks like it's like an iron lung kind of thing. Like, you're thinking, yeah, okay, yeah, this like, guy's not going to make Like it. a ventilator of some kind. Like, he's not breathing on his own. This is the final straw. Max quits the police force, or at least he tries to. Technically, I guess he doesn't, because uh, Fifi... Who, that's a nickname, but yeah, Fifi, let's talk about Fifi. He looks like a Victorian-era strongman. He's shirtless. He's so cool. You know, who he, you know who I thought he was, especially because I read that he was a stuntman? Even though in this movie he doesn't do anything stunty, I would have sworn, I, I would have like put money down that this guy is the big guy that Indiana Jones fights outside the plane in Raiders. Oh, yeah, he, and his name's but Roger Ward, isn't that it? Yeah, the, the and actor? I looked him up. It, it's not him. I, I was shocked to see that it wasn't because he looks like him. He's shirtless. He's got the... I don't know if he has a mustache in Raiders, but you could easily see it being the same guy because he's just got that build. And, <laughs> yeah. and he's shirtless and bald. Uh, he's one of the coolest looking people. Like, just... I really... I went on to hang out with this dude. I'll be honest. I don't mean, like, you know, sexually hang out with this dude, but he was, like, a cool looking dude, you know? Well, no. I mean, what, when, when would hanging out be sexual unless you're David Carradine to be in <laughs> But anyways, so he doesn't accept the resignation, and he flat out tells Max, hey, take a few weeks off and then come back. You'll you'll reconsider by then. So we're not really sure if Max is actually quitting or if he's just taking a few weeks off. But again, this is what this movie's all about. If you take two weeks vacation, your family will get murdered. <laughs> but let's talk about how this wonderful vacation starts off. Mel Gibson buys a dog, an adorable dog from someone who's wearing a Sherlock Holmes hat for some reason. He's wearing like a full-on deer stalker. I don't know why. <laughs> and then um, he, his lovely wife, Jessie, his stupid kid, Sprog, and their dog. I don't think we ever get the dog's name, but they're all going around in their in their um, In a, in a in their Ford van. Falcon station wagon. They're just kind of touring the country. You know, they don't really, I guess they stay at an Airbnb run by a 90-year-old woman with leg braces at some point, but... <laughs> <laughs> who has a retarded son or maybe yeah, grandson yeah. i don't know but their first or one of their first stops jesse's taking sprog down to the beach and she's got some ice cream and then it's the the weird all the weirdo gangs are 
the gangs around her. Toe Cutter intimidates her, like takes a bite of her ice cream, and then she just knees him right in the balls and then just <laughs> takes off. And so this has really pissed off Toe Cutter. They all chase after her. Someone loses their hand on their car on like a chain in the car. I yeah, guess. they try to like they try to like grab onto the car with a chain yeah. and it just cuts his hand off. <laughs> Eventually they stop at this again, it's like an Airbnb. They're just staying with this old lady. One of the best characters of the film. What's her name? May? Oh, good question. I don't know. She's this kindly old lady who seems very loving. And again, Jesse goes down to the beach, this time without Sprague. But the dog joins her. And she goes for a swim. She comes back. She falls asleep. The dog wanders off at some point. Then when she gets up, she's coming back up. At this point, Max is working on the car. And she notices all these weird guys around her so she starts running and she's scared she stumbles upon the dead dog really quick almost like a blink and you'll miss it moment yes and then it's being frightened by all these gang members and then she runs into benny or whatever that what's that simpleton's guy's name it's it's a name like that ben but she yeah. runs into that guy and he scares her of course because he's like you know they made him like a because he's harmless he's like a oh he's lenny from of mice and men that's what this is <laughs> right he's just yes, like a big yeah. dumb idiot and he can't help himself but he's kind of creeps people out but by the way you're right the old woman's name was may may swayze oh patrick's mother <laughs> so jesse's screaming so may and max go out there to help her they help her inside she says like there's a bunch of weirdos out there it's like they're right out of a mad max movie or something you got to do something about these guys <laughs> you got to do something about this max <laughs> So they so they take her inside, and then she realizes that this is while May is calling, I guess, the police. Mm-hmm. She realizes that Sprague is still outside, so she goes outside to look for Sprague. Max and Lenny from Of Mice and Men go out looking for these weirdos with Max as a shotgun. And then Jesse finds Sprague in possession of the gang, who is just confronting her at this barn or whatever. And then May shows up, this badass 95-year-old woman with her shotgun, barely able to walk, and she forces all the entire gang to lock themselves inside. Like, it's, it's amazing that they didn't just kind of, like, overpower her. I know she has a gun. She's such a badass because she shows up and she's like, drop the baby. I mean it, drop the baby. And then she blows a hole in, like, a barrel and starts, like, leaking gasoline all over this yeah. courtyard. <laughs> you know? Yeah, she's awesome. And then, yeah, so the gang get the gang locks themselves in in the in the in the barn and then jesse may and sprague get into their van and they're speeding off the gang at this point of course breaks out of the barn and then the car because max didn't finish repairing it just breaks down so the gang catches up to them jesse tries to run off with sprague may (laughs) makes her heroic final stand with her shotgun but isn't able to do anything and they run over jesse and sprague tastefully done very like very kind of shoot done. around it you, you see the kids shoe you didn't need to see anything more than that it's emotionally impactful especially when max runs up to there and and sees it you know it, it's and then you see may's reaction you may not even know who the hell these people are like yeah she's like it's it's sad it's it's a it's something and then again this is i mean i guess at this point goose is already dead but this is like got like 20 minutes left and this is really where the revenge stuff starts yeah, this was the switch that needed to be flipped. You know, you'd almost think Mel Gibson was pulled over by a Jewish cop or something. <laughs> snaps here. 
Okay, okay. Well, also, speaking of Mel Gibson, we've got to say, his Australian accent, pretty good. I mean, for a guy that was born in New York, sure. Yeah, I mean, he, I think he moved there when he was like 12 or no, something. No, he, he was genuinely Australian, but he was born in New York. It's kind of like Nicole Kidman was Australian, but she was born in Hawaii. You know, it happens. <laughs> yeah. Lupita yeah. Nyong'o is black American, and she was born in Mexico. I mean, it, it, just, it just happens sometimes, you know? <laughs> sometimes it just happens, right. Also, that reminds me of something, and I stumbled upon this, I don't know when, but I saw, like, a trailer for Mad Max, and they get to, like, a few lines that Max says, and it's, like, not Mel Gibson's voice, and it's not an Australian accent. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Oh, really? And I guess the movie, maybe when it was originally released in the U.S., they dubbed everyone over because they thought, maybe not even that the accents were hard to understand, but just that people would like it more if it was in a different accent. Because there's nothing hard to understand about anything that anyone says in this movie. It's not like... It's not like a movie of 45 elderly Michael Caines and you can't understand the damn word anyone <laughs> And says, they're all right? talking I mean, at the same time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, like when um, Train Spotting came out, I think in certain American theaters, they released that with subtitles because those are some like hardcore Scottish accents in there. Yeah. And I can kind of get that. But like Australian, like what the... I, I mean, I, I don't... I, the, I don't only, the only the only word that was hard for me to understand in the movie was the was what they were Spog. calling the kid. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Sprong. <laughs> and that's that's more, yeah, I wonder if in the dub version they just call him Jim or something. <laughs> they just give the kid a real name. <laughs> yeah, Mike. <laughs> 1979, I guess, it goes to show you how much the world has changed since then. How much, I mean, things have definitely changed for Mel Gibson, let's be honest. Well, he's up. he's on a bit of an upswing, apparently. People in Hollywood are acknowledging him. He's been up for an Oscar yeah, in uh, he's Hacksaw doing, Ridge. He's doing producing and... Uh, directing these days more yeah and, he, and he's been directing since at least braveheart i mean i know he directed braveheart he might have directed movies before that but now it's probably has more to do with his age than anything but now he's just directing and not really acting i know he was in he's done a few movies but he's kind of done as an actor and he's just like i'll just do this directing thing and i don't know how great of a director he is i never saw hacksaw ridge i know braveheart it's okay i mean you know me i'm, I'm in the medieval history and braveheart yeah. is possibly yeah. the worst historical artifact in the history of the world yeah it's definitely not a super but it's a decent movie it's not yes. a great movie yeah it, it shouldn't have been an academy award best picture winner but it's, it's a decent movie it's just really weird that mel gibson fucks a three-year-old in that movie because the 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 princess that he sleeps with would have been about two or three years old at that time, and it's like, oh, uh, uh, okay. They cast Woody Allen as as as. Yeah. <laughs> also, also the worst part about Braveheart, the dumbest part, is that the title's wrong. Braveheart isn't just like a name thrown around. The reason the term Braveheart exists is because when Robert the Bruce died, Robert the Bruce, not William Wallace, the Scottish leader hero that actually did something with his life let's be honest william wallace (laughs) but um robert the bruce when he died people took his heart and took it all around scotland all the highlands and people got to like pay their respects to his literal heart yeah that's why he was brave heart william wallace is not Braveheart. What is that title? How do you screw up that bad? That's like that's like if you na- if you had that Elvis Presley movie come out and you just call it Bohemian Rhapsody, <laughs> right? That's, you know what? That's a really good comparison. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I get what he's going for. You know, I think the it's like, average... oh, a new <laughs> a new Mick Jagger movie coming out. It's called Across the Universe. <laughs> it's called I Walk the Line. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <they're... laughs> 
Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I, I get what he was going for. I think the average audience member probably had little to absolutely no. The, no the average audience member didn't know anything about William Wallace. That's true. Okay, so Mel Gibson's back. He's he's out for vengeance. He's wearing his police uniform, even though he's not acting on any authority here. But which is cool because it's just a cool looking uniform. He looks. He kind of looks like a vigilante killer already. Yeah. He's out there torturing mechanics to get information about this gang. Then he's kind of picking off the gang one one by one. He's just kind of driving around and forcing well, and, them off And the he's road. in his cool fucking souped up car now. Exactly. Yeah. Again, top three movie car. Top four, I guess, if we're throwing Ferris Bueller's car in there. <laughs> which also forced plenty of people off the road, of course. <laughs> oh, no. He's following, like, the big three, Toe Cutter, Bubba Zanetti, and Johnny the Boy, except he stumbles into their trap because he sees one of them by the side of the road and mm-hmm. he, like, gets out of his car to investigate. Then Bubba Zanetti shoots him in the knee and there's, like, an amazing squib. And he's down on the ground. He's reaching for his sawn-off shot shotgun when the motorcycle runs over his arm. Yeah, pretty pretty cool scene. Yeah, so the toe cutter turns to Bubba Zanetti and he's like, we'll go over there and finish the job. And so Bubba Zanetti is revving up his motorcycle and he's going to run him over. But Max is able to grab the shotgun and just kill him just in time. And then the the acting here, the physical acting, Mel Gibson's amazing. The, the struggle that he does to get up when he's got one good leg and one good arm and he's, like, using his shotgun to, like, help him up. It's so cool. Yeah, I mean, he looks... He, at this point in the movie, he looks so cool doing anything. Even when he's, like, writhing around on the ground in pain. You're yeah, like, even when he's screaming cool. at police officers, sure. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, so... And then Toe Cutter basically looks at him, and he does, like, a snarl. He does, like, a... Ah! He, like, like, hisses a, like that... Like, yeah, that like Hannibal Lecter kind of... Or, like, spook... I said Hannibal Lecter, but if you want to go... If you want to go highbrow, sure, yeah. like Spookies. <laughs> and, and then he just rides off, and Max struggles into his car. He falls down once or twice trying to get there. He gets in the car, he eventually tracks him down and forces him headfirst into a semi-truck. But this there's a really brief shot that's, I don't know if it's amazing or if it's terrible, of toe cutter's eyes like bulging like as he's yeah, about to yeah. hit the car it's kind of like amazing but also just weird it's kind of funny it is but it's 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 so uh, i don't it's like something out of looney tunes you know you could almost picture like a boing sound effects or exactly something it. <laughs> yeah but but the impact on head first into the semi-truck is amazing so Max has defeated his penultimate villain because he still has to get Johnny the boy. He searches for him day and night before he stumbles upon him, stealing boots off of a dead motorist. Max goes up to him. He goes full jigsaw, and he he <laughs> yeah. cuffs him to, like, the car that's that's dripping oil. And he's got, like, some some light set that, like, it, it, it will eventually explode after a certain amount of time. He gives him a saw, which I guess was just lying around there. He's like, it'll take 20 minutes for you to cut through those cuffs. If you're lucky, it'll take 10 minutes to cut through your leg. And <laughs> and then he's like, it's your decision. And he leaves. And Johnny, Johnny the boy's doing all this. Like, you can't do this to me. I'm, I'm unwell. The court even said so. But, like, Max don't give a fuck Um, and so he goes off and as he's driving off there's this massive explosion in the background and that is the end of the movie jim 
What did you think of the original Mad Max? It's just such a cool movie. It's like as action-packed as something like The Terminator because you just have these cars chasing each other down these like back roads for like three quarters of the movie. Getting into awesome crashes or running people off the road. The car stunts are amazing. They're the, they're the real highlight and it gets better in the series because Road Warrior is a huge improvement. Fury Road was like we hadn't seen anything like that in yeah. decades or maybe ever. So, but this movie it, it opens strong. It it sets a strong precedent for that kind of thing. Yeah, and I mean, the story's good. You know, as you as you pointed out, it's a, it's kind of like a straightforward revenge. There's not much to it, and there's not much really to many of the characters that appear on screen. No, but- there's there's one scene, which I, I didn't overlook the scene, but I overlooked, I guess, kind of a key moment of dialogue when he's, when Max is resigning with Fifi, and Fifi says something like, why are you doing this? And he's like, because I'm, I'm worried that the more I'm out there, the more I'm out there tracking these guys down, I'll become one of them. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the only time it's mentioned. We can, you can argue that that's like what happens when he goes full anti-Semite psychopath killing people. And, <laughs> okay, yeah. But at the same time, <laughs> it's not really like, it's it's more specific. It's not because he's just been out on the road. It's because his family was killed. It's a little different. Like, I, if that's like the theme of the movie, I don't think it really works that well. No, exactly. Like, really, I don't know if there really is like a solid theme that runs through this movie beginning to end. You know what I mean? There's something, but it's not. it's not the strength of the movie, certainly. No, and I think the thing that is running through this movie is George Miller's direction, his his vision for an outback-based car chase movie. And I think if you're like it's that vision that brought Babe to the <laughs> big city. <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't know if you ever saw that movie Babe Pig in the City is Babe? actually great. Yeah, of course. Or at least Wait. I remember it being great as a kid. I mean, he also did the original Babe excellent film i remember babe picking the city i haven't seen it since i was a kid i remember that being pretty good it's no paddington too listen don't just bring up paddington too first babe is but great. if i'm not mistaken siskel and or ebert had babe pig in the city in their top 10 of the year they did every year it came out they like, did that's amazing yeah so it's probably a pretty good movie but again no paddington too okay. had ebert lived to see paddington too he would have said it's the best film ever made. <laughs> okay but uh, no, uh, Mad Max. It's just a, it's just a fun movie, and I I can't really describe it any other way. It's just a fun movie. It's not necessarily interesting. There are aspects of it that are interesting, but it's just a fun watch. There's really no slow points, and and the things that are slow, kind of like with Terminator, everything that's slow in this movie is building up to something else. But yeah, I like this movie. What about you, Patrick? What are your thoughts? I like it. Don't love it. For me, it's, you know me, I like the weird, ultra-gritty, like, 70s era stuff. Like, I I know you weren't on the episode where we did Death Wish, but I I know I talked about that a lot. Like, the Death Wish, Dirty Harry, Shaft era of action movies. And this is, you know, this is well later, but it's kind of in that vein. You know, it's a little bit of a different genre because it's this dystopian thing. And I love the grittiness of Max and of the police force. I don't love the bikers. No, they're all terrible. It's just... It's a style of villain I just don't like. I think Toe Cutter is pretty cool. Like I, I like him as a as a villain because he is actually able to communicate without making weird faces and hooting and hollering and, and you know he's fine. He's intimidating. I think that scene where he gets Johnny the boy to light goose on fire i think that's probably his best scene but he has the great scene with that guy working at the rail- railroad station when he's yeah that's like great trying too. to get him to take off his cap to honor the fallen knight rider and stuff like that like he's just 
really intimidating. I don't love the movie, and there's a lot of reasons I don't love the movie. I think the the characters could have been stronger. I think we could have done a little bit more to a, to a, I mean, we do a it, the relationship's pretty well established in the beginning when we first see Jesse because when he when Max is going off to work, she does that sign language thing. She says like it's it means I'm, I'm, I'm crazy, crazy about, about you. you or something, and that kind of comes back later, but. She's basically, that's like her only scene in the first half of the movie. And then like suddenly in the second half, they're on their road trip buying dogs and stuff. And I think they could have done a little bit more in between that, Mm -hmm. made her a bigger part of the movie. They also could have done, I mean, Goose gets him to quit the police force, but then he kind of just goes on vacation and it's almost like the Goose thing never happened. And, And the real snapping moment is when his wife died, which is fine. It the The one plot point doesn't lead to the other, I guess, in the most satisfying way. I kind of took that whole scene and aftermath a little differently. When he told Fifi, he's like, I'm, you know, I'm resigning, I'm quitting. And Fifi's like, ah, just take a couple of weeks. Max says something on his way out, like, yeah, sure. Or something like that. Like, as in, I'm not coming back. I'm fucking done. My, well, sure. good, my, my good friend dying has, you know, caused me to leave the forest and stuff. And then I took this whole thing with Jesse. I took all that to mean like he's trying to start a new life somewhere else. He's just trying to get away. And it's these fucking hooligans his bike hooligans drag him back in no i i get that i yeah i get the just when i think i'm out they pull me back in yeah there's that but but what's kind of weird to me i guess is i never know how personal it is with toe cutter and the gang mm-hmm. because we know early on toe cutter wants him dead because of what happened to night rider and then it's personal with goose because goose was the one who was threatening johnny the boy and doing all this stuff and then so they kill him but then it's like do, do they even at this point care about max or do they even know who max like who he is or like what he looks yeah like, you know? and and then later on you know towards the end of the movie they stumble upon jesse the first time they stumble upon her and she knees him in the balls then they follow her it's not because of max i don't think they're they're trying to just get her back yeah i think they were talking about kind of tr- wanting to rape her when they first saw her right probably i mean that's what weirdo post-apocalyptic gang members do right i mean that's their thing (laughs) and then it's obviously personal for max after they kill her and then there's like a moment towards the end of the movie where toe cutter is like getting aboard his motorcycle and he just sees a photograph on the ground of jesse and sprague and it's like okay what was that though like i I don't yeah i guess as kind of neat as toe cutter is as a villain i wanted there to be like something more personal with him and max like i would love if toe cutter is as motivated to kill max as max is to kill him and he really isn't and i mean that's fine there's nothing wrong with it i just think i would have enjoyed the movie better if it was different i get that but at the end of the day the car stunts really deliver uh it's difficult to overstate how freaking cool max is and i'm not one of those guys who's like you know i don't go into a movie like hoping it's cool that's not like my number one requirement even for an action movie but when max looks as cool as he does it's pretty it's pretty awesome and you know with the black the black car the black leather oh yeah that black the, leather. the hating black people okay <laughs> uh, i'm sorry it's 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 low-hanging fruit but it's mel gibson that's what it is and oh, then no. um that's just really cool because max isn't that interesting of a character he could be more interesting i think there if there was more in the movie about you know that that concern he raises about like i'm going to become like them i'm going to go crazy the more i'm out there yeah i think if they if they had developed that a bit more he could be a genuinely interesting character he's really not that interesting it's kind of just 
basic revenge man. But it pulls it off well because he looks cool. And he and Mel Gibson, say what you will about him as a, as a human, he's a charismatic actor. He's he's good. Yeah, I agree. And I think for somebody like me, I really dig this movie just because of all the 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 action stuff. Yeah. Specifically car stuff, crash stuff. And I think somebody like George Miller, who I think that also gets him revving, when you create a second movie called The Road Warrior, and that gets a whole generation of action movie lovers into your main character and story. You know, there's something to be said for... It's also worth noting in, in regards to the series, Max isn't really... You know, I'm kind of complaining there could have been more to his character in this movie. There's less to his character in all of the sequels. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's kind of just there. And it's it's interesting to, to make a series revolving around a main character and then really not be that all that interested in exploring him. And it's amazing the series has worked as well as it, as it has. Because the movies are basically... And again, it's been a while since I've seen any of them. From what I understand... There's a few consistencies with Max. There aren't many consistencies with the world. Like like we said, this one's not really post-apocalyptic. I think the other ones kind of are, yes. or at least some of them. There's always the crazy gang guys. That's, that's a thing. And I think I read somewhere that, you know, Max gets his knee blown out with a shotgun in this movie. And I think in the next two or three movies, he does walk with a limp like that. Like that's a consistent thing. And I think maybe they even include something with his injured arm in some of the movies i think they even up to fury road i think he even limps and it's like okay that's neat and i think there's they do something with him like loving animals in some of the other movies because he does buy the dog here but i mean who doesn't love dogs though like just no (laughs) yeah i want to say a dog features heavily in the road warrior because i seem to recall an emotional scene in the mad max movies where the dog dies and like i said in this movie the dog dying is like a blink and you'll miss it moment so it's not from this movie <laughs> well i know there's a dog kid in the series <laughs> is that what he is <laughs> yeah do you remember the feral kid that's 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 in the road warrior i believe but yes yeah, yeah yeah so good movie not the best in the series not the worst in the series it's definitely better than thunderdome Sorry, Tina Turner. So all of that having been said, Jim, between The Terminator and the original Mad Max, which do you like more? Though The Terminator is, I think, a better movie. It's shot better, and it's got definitely more of a budget, probably. Oh my god. I would assume. I do <laughs> I do like Mad Max more. I, I just find it enjoyable. Is it just the cars? Is it just the... Because that's why you chose Repo Man. You go, I just like the cars. I just like the weird world that they kind of live in. But you we were know, talking about how we don't like the No, no, I don't like the carnival gang guys. I don't like yeah. any of that. But I like, you know, the idea of living on a beach and getting to drive a cool car and intercept baddies and stuff like that. Listen, I, you're not, like, wrong for preferring Mad Max. I just think you have kind of dumb reasons. <laughs> you have saying, dumb you know? reasons because you're going to pick The Terminator. But, you know, that's a famous movie that's been rehashed a million times. And Mad Max well, you can't blame was the something Terminator special. For Mad Max has been rehashed a thousand times. You ever seen 2020 Texas Gladiator? <laughs> Yeah, but that's I all have. like, yeah, that's I've all been rehashed that. by one. shitty directors and shitty people. I think Mad Max is something that's kind of special, and it's an <laughs> interesting thing. <laughs> Hang on. Yeah, Hang what? on. <laughs> Are you forgetting that someone named Mick G made Terminator Salvation? Okay, the Terminator has been rehashed by shitty directors and shitty people, okay? I- <laughs> 
I don't remember who directed <laughs> Terminator 3, but I'm sure he's a terrible person. Listen, listen, you know what? And here's the thing, man. I like the Terminator. I like Arnie. I like yeah. the idea of the Terminator. I like sure. all the 80s LA stuff. I like the cops. They're all kind of fun characters. I obviously like the cars in that movie. But there's just something about Mad Max and driving around a post-apocalyptic-esque Australia. I don't know. It's just really cool. I think it's a really cool thing. All the leather daddies are cool. But no, I just think it's cool. I like I, don't know, I like aspects of the world. Whereas Terminator, sure. it's nothing... The world isn't too special to me. It's like, it's just the world. You know what I mean? You know what my favorite thing about the world in, the ter- in, in Mad Max was? That awesome sci-fi motorcycle that had like a two-seater like a sidecar yeah. that had like a little <laughs> yeah, like a, spa- a little like a jetsons car. thing that yeah. went over it that was pretty cool uh well anyways i know you're gonna pick the terminator so tell me why you're picking the terminator because it's better i don't, I don't know <laughs> i mean listen mad max is a fine film the terminator i think is better i think there's more aspects in the terminator that i like i love the writing i love the structure of the screenplay most of the effects are pretty awesome you know we mentioned the ones we didn't and you know mad max isn't a movie with big effects it's a stunt movie terminator has great stunts too maybe not as good as mad max but when you get a flaming arnold jumping through a windshield like that's pretty cool (laughs) i will say it's possible Mad Max is the best scene of the double feature where Max is on the ground reaching for his shotgun as people run over his arm and then he has to shoot Bubba Zanetti as he charges him. That's awesome. That's like so cool. Or even but, just yeah, the, the motorcycle crash into the front of the semi. Well, you get that goofy shot, though. Oh, that's true. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I do just love the Terminator. It's it's such an awesome plot it's not complicated but it's 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 enough to be like interesting to elevate it above just like a fun action movie it doesn't necessarily make you think but it engages you beyond just the action yes i totally agree with that the love story is even surprisingly good the villain is amazing kyle reese is pretty cool hero and then when it's kind of neat to see sarah connor who's just this kind of down on her luck waitress end up becoming a hero and it like feels believable all the way through but i agree with you the terminator is a superior film in writing directing a composition whatever whatever you want to call it even score you know (laughs) it's got one of the most famous scores of the last 40 years probably it's that stupid terminator i mean you know you you say that it's it's not really the score though it's just that theme you're right it's just that you know i but yeah whatever so jim how do you think this stacks up as a drive-in double feature I think it actually works pretty well because you have two movies. Though you said Mad Max is like a, is a revenge movie, you have two what I would like to call pursuer movies. The Terminator, you've got this machine man pursuing these characters throughout the whole entire thing. And then Mad Max, you have kind of a back and forth of the police pursuing these crazy carnival-esque people and then these crazy carnival people pursuing the police. You know what I would do if we made this a triple feature? What? Throw in Oxford Blues, a movie where where Rob Lowe fakes his grades to get into Oxford so he can stalk a woman and eventually date her. And it's played like a romantic comedy, not a horror <laughs> movie. It's, it's really disturbing. It's one of the most disturbing. And that's from the mid-80s era of like, yeah, 16 Candles. There's a lot of problematic stuff in all those movies. And this is the creepiest one of them. But yeah, creepier than The Terminator. More disturbing than Mad Max. And, and a Pursuer movie. <laughs> Yeah, it's, yeah, well, that's, that's yeah, well. Then exactly. you know, if we wanted to end the night off, we could, as we were like letting people leave the theater, we could play "Ain't No Mountain," you know, high enough because that's also a pursu- a song about pursuing. 
Every Breath You Take by the police. (laughs) But no, I I think it's I think it stacks up as a pretty decent double feature. Not the best, but definitely not the worst. But uh, my my opinion is strictly hinging on that pursuer aspect to it. Oh, and cars. Cars are are such big parts of both movies. Listen, cars are going to be involved in almost every movie we. (laughs) Okay, listen. Don't just don't cut me down. Doing a lot of movies set. you, You know, hell, there are cars in Braveheart. Okay, if you look close enough, you see him in the background, <laughs> right? You're right. Yeah. You That's put, true. Can we make this a quadruple feature? Uh, listen, Jim, it's a, it, I agree. It's a, it's a good double feature. I think it's even better than you're giving it credit for. These are both iconic movies. Mm-hmm. Iconic movies that launched franchises. Arguably, and I think in the case of Mad Max, inarguably, they're not the best films in their series. Terminator has one movie it's competing with. It's Terminator 2, which I slightly prefer. Mad Max is outclassed by two movies in the series. But in terms of just like kind of generation defining films, for lack of a better term, these movies are up there with like, these are like the both movies had huge impacts. I mean, regardless of the franchises that they launched, you know, the Terminator, Arnold was just that guy in Conan. And then suddenly he's the biggest movie star in the world. Yes. Mel Gibson, the world still won't, forgive mad max for the the <laughs> what fame that movie launched i mean there's no lethal weapon there's no brave heart there's no there's no what women want without <laughs> mel gibson there's no the passion or, or of the christ with, with, <laughs> or without yeah or with without mad max i should say yeah there's no passion of the christ there's no apocalypto which no one cares about <laughs> i also like both these movies pretty low budget but uh, but obviously like more so than like b movies low budget with a really good filmmaker think of my my example is like will always be like the original halloween or the original night of the living dead or something they're super low budget but you can see how talented the director was and i think these movies are a bit like that they're bigger budget than both of those movies or at least the terminator is yeah there's no surprising that james cameron went on to be james cameron after the terminator and then george miller he went on to do bigger and better things even within the Mad Max series, but, you know, he made a couple of pretty awesome Babe movies, and he did these other things. The Witches <laughs> of Eastwick, I don't know if that's any good, but... Well, he certainly a made a name for himself with, oh, with Mad and Max. He, he also directed one of the movies from the Twilight... One of the segments from the Twilight Zone movies, which uh, John Landis, of course, killed people on the side. <laughs> um, okay. Well, also, too, the both of these movies also launched shitty copycat movies the world over in like every culture oh yeah yeah and then and that's yeah that's definitely true i mean more so i mean the terminator definitely has its uh what's that movie with uh daniel bernhardt where he travels in time to defeat dinosaurs as they're trying to kill people <laughs> in modern day la there's that movie that's definitely future war that's a terminator knockoff Transfers is kind of a Terminator knockoff. Comes out the same year as the Terminator, so maybe it wasn't really a knockoff. But hey, I love Transfers. Transfers. Transfers Two, of course, is the the Godfather of Transfers films. <laughs> God damn it, McNulty! The next time someone hands you an exploding ham, I'm gonna pass the mustard. And then Mad Max, obviously, a lot of a lot of stuff, a lot of Italian stuff. Revelation Road is like a trilogy of Christian Mad Max movies that oh, came no. out. <laughs> It's the same company that made Beckman, which is the Christian John Wick, which I actually really liked. I was surprised <laughs> at how good it was. So maybe the Revelation Road movies are okay. It's the same star. There's also, these movies are both, you know, you and I are are, are younger than 
the people that these would have appealed to when they first came out. Obviously, we Mm -hmm. weren't born for either films. But there's an entire generation of men that these movies helped define. 100%. Yeah, I agree with you. It's The Terminator. It's Mad Max. Maybe The Road Warrior more than Mad Max. It's maybe Indiana Jones. And then maybe into Die Hard. Maybe you can go as late as Die Hard. And that, like, generation of action movies... That, def- that it defined a generation, it truly did. And there's probably a few, a handful of movies that I could throw in there. Maybe Lethal Weapon. Yeah, you could probably put that in there. Maybe Death Stalker. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe not that one. But so I think if you're just if you want to just sit down and watch a masculine movie or a masculine double feature, this is a great one because they're both good movies. You know, because there's a lot of like man movies that like you sit down, <laughs> and you watch them, and, and then it's like, you no, know, it's not actually that good. Like, that's how I feel about Scarface. Yeah, I, I actually agree with you on that one. Yeah, but these are good. So yeah, that's my thoughts. It's our most masculine double feature to date. It's also probably the one where I, I think the both movies could genuinely be considered classics. I think that's kind of a rarity for us. We Sometimes we do one movie's a classic and then the other movie's Spookies or something like that. <laughs> okay, so. listen, stop shitting all over Spookies. No, and I think not even could be considered classics. I think both of these movies are genuine bona fide classics. Right. So, Patrick, what are we doing next week? What are we covering? What are we talking about? What are we watching? Okay, shut up. <laughs> um, we are doing personal favorites of both of ours. We are doing a personal favorite of mine, A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors. And we are doing a personal favorite of yours, and I'll give you plenty of time to dispute that, but I don't think you will, Inseminoid. <laughs> a movie about aliens impregnating a woman. Is that what the movie's about? I don't remember I don't, much about it. I, I, I don't I remember. It. The last time I saw it, genuinely, <laughs> the last time I saw it was when I was studying in England, and we talked about this podcast. Yeah. So... <laughs> Maybe I will dispute it next time I see it. So, yeah, a couple 80s horror movies, I guess. Inseminoid, I think, is a British movie, by the way. I think it is. I might be getting (laughs) Inseminoid mixed up with some other movies, but I don't remember what it is about. I bet bet they're better, whatever it is. But I'm curious to revisit Inseminoid. I I remember it being considerably less sleazy than the poster and the title would have you believe. But I (laughs) may be wrong. I don't know. But yes, I think it's about aliens impregnating a woman, so I don't know what we're getting into. Listen, but. let's not tell let's not tell people that this is one of my all-time faves before before I rewatch this. <laughs> okay, but it at one point was, okay? It might have been. <laughs> I cannot confirm nor deny. Listen, the Goonies used to be one of my all-time favorites, okay? If you want to love Inseminoid, that's your, that's your <laughs>